Hi, and welcome to episode 56 of 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. In this episode, I'll discuss Kanya Brava Reserva Aneja, a seven years aged version of the Kanya Brava rum that I discussed in episode 47, all the way back in episode 47. Uh, Kanya Brava is a rum brand produced by the 86 Company, who also produced Ford's Gin, among other things. So if, uh, in case that's a reference point for you, that's where this rum is coming from. And in addition to that, talking about that their aged rum, I'll also talk a little bit about vermouth, uh, the book Lost Recipes of Prohibition, and finally wrap up by making an El Presidente cocktail. So as referenced in the intro to the show, if you remember the delicious Kanya Brava Silver, which I believe was a three-year aged rum all the way back from episode 47, um, this is a, a sort of in the same vein of that of, as that one. So if that doesn't ring a bell, stop this episode, go back, check out episode 47, then come back and, and start this one up again. Um, so this is more of that good uh, Cuban by way of Panama rum, uh, only instead of the three-year silver rum, this is going to be aged longer in wood. Uh, Caña Brava Reserva Aneja, in fact, is aged seven years. Big old seven right on the front of the bottle to let you know that. Um, I'm expecting going into this a woodier, slightly more complex version of the silver, but still relatively dry and comparatively light. Uh, so now let's get on with the tasting. Um, I have some in my glass here. Now, of course, um, this is all high production values and I've already actually tasted it, but let's just go ahead and play along as if I'm just tasting it right now. Um, in terms of appearance, the bottle itself is a distinctive for the comp- for the 86 company bottle. So like I mentioned in the open as well, uh, Ford's gin, if you've seen that bottle, um, it's the same type of a screw top uh, glass bottle with an indentation around the glass at about the 500 milliliter level. So a standard liquor bottle is 750 milliliters at about 500 milliliters. They have an indentation to give you a grip while pouring. Um, I've actually grown to really like their bottles in the time that I've had them. At first, uh, I wasn't sure how much of their bottle was just marketing and you know something to put on on the website, but they do seem to be genuinely useful and they're they're easy to handle. So I do uh, I do like them quite a bit. Uh, the liquid itself uh, for the rum it looks like an aged rum in the glass. It's a nice light brown color that seems to have taken on more color from a barrel as opposed to a coloring agent, which is always a good sign. Uh, Aroma-wise, there's a, a a nice slight astringency, excuse me, astringency on the nose. Uh, a little bit of hint of sugar if you if you breathe it in deep, uh, and some mustiness and a little bit of leather. Some of that aging elements coming through. Um, it's not particularly distinctive, but it is very pleasant, and I mean that in a comp- as a compliment, not as a you know sideways or a backhand compliment. Uh, I think it's a good representation of this form of rum. Uh, Taste-wise, uh, let's sip here. Mm, um, sort of a, a nice dry taste, a little bit of heat and a little bit of pepper, uh, good mouthfeel. It's not too thin. It's not as heavy bodied as some, some other, um, sipping rums that I'm more, um, that I'm more drawn to, but it's not too thin for a, a Spanish dry style rum. Uh, I think I'm picking up some characteristics of the barrel, but not as much vanilla as some comparable rum. So that's actually uh, what I would say a good sign is you're not just picking up one note from the barrel, but you know, a bunch of different small notes from that barrel finish. Um, and speaking of finish, um, it's a little bit of sharp on the initial swallow and then it mellows out, uh, sort of in the mouth as it, as it finds its way down your throat. Um, not a lot of burn for better or for worse, depending on what you're looking for. Um, and as I finish my glass, there's like a, you know, eventually it builds up a a light lingering warmth in the, in the throat. So initially I find it not to be a lot new, not very burning, not very warm, but then it kind of lingers and hangs out a little bit and actually does take on some warmth. Um, and as I look at the bottle, I can see it's uh, 45% ABV or 90 proof. 
Uh, and it feels like a very well-mannered 90 proof, not a, not a harsh, not a really in your face 90 proof, but really a well-behaved one. Uh, so to sum up, I think the, the Kanye Brava Neha falls sort of into my favorite sweet spot. This is a really good rum as a sipper, but also as a somewhat premium mixer for when you, you are going to use a recipe that will highlight the rum itself. So I wouldn't really bury this in a, in a, um, in a cocktail with nine other ingredients, but if you have a single rum recipe that's going to highlight the rum, this is, this is one to definitely reach for. Um, and based on how much I enjoyed the Kanye Brava from episode 47, I really was looking forward to the Aneha once I heard it was coming. Um, and it didn't, you know, it didn't disappoint. So this feel, also feels like the sort of rum where I could put out a bottle, put out a few glasses and have guests, you know, just pour and, and sip their rum over a long evening. Um, I'm going to designate this, um, well, this is my own designation, of course, as a rum for gentlemen and for ladies. Um, later in the episode, I'll get to that cocktail that will highlight this rum, the El Presidente. Um, and yes, in case you're wondering, this rum is delicious in a, a standard, uh, uh, standard form of a daiquiri. Now, when it comes to production or history of the rum, um, despite my declaration that it's a fine, dry sipping rum, which is rare for me to recommend uh, this type of rum as a sipper, um, I also understand that this is a rum that the producers, the 86 company, they mean to be mixed in quality cocktails in fine drinking establishments. So as a company, they cater to bartenders, as I mentioned um, in that previous episode. Uh, they partnered with distillers to package and market their line of spirits, the 86 company. They're not the actual distillery. Um, and I'm leaning a lot on the info from my previous research on Kanye Brava as the online marketing materials on the official site are not yet updated with the Reserva. Now, the information I did find online specific to the Reserva comes from an article on examiner.com. There's a link to that in the show notes. And that article was written by Robert Burr. Uh, he of uh, Rob's Rum Guide uh, and the organizer of the annual Rum Renaissance Festival in Miami and other rum-related re endeavors. He, he knows quite a bit about rum, um, and I would uh, encourage you to link up or hit the link in the show notes and go read his his reviews of rum, get the guide that he's written, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's very knowledgeable on the subject, so I'm glad he wrote this article. So to recap on Kanye Brava as a distillery, um, they are located in Panama. Uh, they say that they uh, are using sugarcane grown locally in Panama, so not created by shipping or not created using shipped in molasses. Uh, the distillery itself is called Las Cabras and was founded in 1919. Um, in the mid-1990s, the warehouse and a copper still that were on that site were sort of rediscovered by Don Poncho and Carlos Esquivel. Don Poncho uh, was originally a distiller in Cuba where he practiced for 35 years. And again, in the 90s, he moved to Panama. Uh, he and Carlos Esquivel had found this distillery and he put his skills to use um, at that location there. Um, like many distillers, uh, Don Poncho has a degree in science, uh, specifically in biochemistry. Now, Kanye Brava is produced from, like I said, local raw sugarcane molasses from Panama with water and a, a pineapple yeast blend. Uh, it's distilled in a column still using uh, five continuous stills, four copper, and the fifth is copper and brass. The Kanye Reserve, excuse me, the Kanye Brava Reserva begins with a selection of rums, um, younger rums that are blended to create a base, which is then aged seven years in used bourbon barrels. The final uh, ABV is 45% uh, or 90 proof, like I mentioned before. Uh, there is some filtration applied to remove color and some of the heavier barrel notes. So even though you're getting uh, an amber colored rum, it is has been uh, gone through some filtration. Um, this is not the easiest rum to find for me at the moment. It's new on the market uh, within the last couple of months or the last few months at least. I don't think it was on the market before, at least uh, at the earliest, maybe last December. Uh, and as I record this, it's May of 2016. 
Uh, so it actually just may be in the pipeline and, and on its way with distributors. Uh, but even at a, a good place uh, near me, like KNL, uh, that carries the other Kanye Brava, the Silver, hasn't stocked the Reserva yet. So I happen to find a bottle at Barkeeper in Silver Lake, California. Uh, retails there for about $48, I believe. Uh, I tossed the receipt, but that sounds pretty close to right, 44 to $48. Uh, try asking your better stocked liquor stores if they have it. And since the 86 company is catering to bars as well, maybe it'll start showing up in your local, your better local bars. Um, I would say ask for it by name if you don't see it. And I think it's worth the effort to locate one. Um, even if you have to go through again, a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, hunting for it. I think it's worth, uh, having in your collection. So similar to the last episode, when uh, I moved on to a, something I know less about in that case in Amaro, uh, let's move on to another thing that I don't know so much about. And that is vermouth. Um, and specifically, this is going to be the Dolin. Uh, if you look for it on a shelf, it's spelled D-O-L-I-N, but it is pronounced Dolin. Uh, and it is a uh, Vermouth de Chambre Blanc. Uh, my French is a lot worse than my Spanish, which is saying something because my Spanish is pretty pretty terrible too. Uh, so apologies to anybody who actually speaks or understands French as I butcher several words in this segment. Um now, this uh, Doline Vermouth uh, Blanc is a it's yet another spirit of a bygone era that has been reintroduced by House Alpens. Uh, House Alpens, those of, or they have Smith & Cross, Batavia Rock, Swedish Punch, which I talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, that, that company has brought this uh, particular style of vermouth back on the market. Uh, vermouth was typically categorized by the region from which it came. So Vermouth de Chambry, uh, like Vermouth de Torino, is managed by a designation of origin, meaning its production is protected and governed by certain local laws that say it has to be produced a certain way to be called that. Uh, vermouth, generally speaking, is a fortified wine, which was historically an infused wine or a wine infused with wormwood. Uh, hence the name vermouth, as the German word for wormwood is vermouth. Um, now, as a wine, vermouth has a limited shelf life once it's open. It won't necessarily make you sick when it's past its prime, but it won't taste good. So generally speaking, buy as small of a bottle as you can and try and finish it within a month. Uh, I keep mine in the refrigerator with the cap on tight to try and stave off uh, any sort of oxidation. But of course, once you take the cap off, oxidation is tick or the clock is ticking, oxidation is taking place. So buy buy as little as you need and try and use it. Um, you know, with like I said, within a month. As a variety, uh, Vermouth de Chambre is uh, known for being light and floral. Uh, the Blanc is what I would consider a rare, sweet, clear vermouth. So typically an Italian sweet vermouth will be a dark color. That's what people would expect, especially if they're making something like a Manhattan. You're going to see that dark color. Um, from what I've read, there are Italian styles that mimic the Blanc and are marketed as a Bianco. So if you see an Italian vermouth Bianco, that's going to be a, um, a clear, sweet vermouth. Now, from Jeff Berry's book, um, Pir- uh, excuse me, Pirates of the Caribbean, Potions of the Caribbean, uh, it's made clear that for a good El Presidente, you'll want to go with the Doline or to mix equal parts of dry and sweet vermouth. Uh, and I take his meaning there. There isn't a good one-to-one substitute for the Doline Blanc, uh, which is kind of why Alpens brought it back in the first place. Now, I'm going to go ahead and open this bottle here and uh, and give you a little bit of a description of it without doing a full tasting. So in the bottle, it's um, you know relatively clear, maybe a little bit of hint of uh, light color to it if you hold it up to the light in the bottle. And as soon as you take the cap off, you get a, sort of a real heavy um, sort of, it's hard to describe because I'm not real good with, with wine or uh, vinegar descriptions, but there is a little bit of uh, vinegary. There's definitely some floral notes there. And I think there's some sweet in there, but it's really hidden behind the rest of the aromas that are there. Now, when you actually taste it, as I have a little bit right here. 
you definitely taste the sweet on the first sip and then it kind of uh, fades into more of a vinegary or more of an infused wine sort of flavor on that. So it's a, it's got a nice complexity in that it starts one way and finishes another way. And you can sort of tell why this would be good in a cocktail. Although it also seems like something you would need to deploy uh, smartly because uh, it does have a distinctive flavor and it's probably, you know, going to take a little tweaking to get right. It's not, not necessarily going to blend into a cocktail, if you know what I mean. So you're going to need to work at it a little bit. Um, Production notes, uh, I'm going to pull these straight from the Alpen site, which I have linked in the show notes, but they have a really good uh, set of fact sheets on the products that they import and the products that they help bring to market. So it's worth going and checking out. Uh, the Dolan Blanc, or Do- oh, excuse me, Dolan, see, I just did it. Dolin uh, begins with a base white wine that's low in alcohol, so about 10% by volume, um, and they get they want wine that's as neutral as possible. At that point, they add herbs and plants that are added to, and then that macerates in the wine for several weeks. Um, and as with a certain bitters company that we all know, the exact recipe and the exact herbs and plants that are added are, are a secret, a trade secret. Uh, but they claim that up to 54 different plants are used. Uh, and they note most, or they say most notably wormwood, uh, but also, uh, hesop, uh, chamomile, uh, and chinchona bark and rose petals. Uh, so a lot of things going into that particular vermouth. Uh, but of course, true to, true to its origins, it's most notably wormwood. Um, this wine that's uh, after maceration is then lightly sugared. Um, in I think for the Blanc, they say that's 130 grams of sugar to per liter. So I don't know if that actually qualifies as lightly sugared, uh, especially compared to the dry, but there we are. Uh, and then finally, the vermouth is fortified. Uh, in this case, it's, uh, it goes up to 16% alcohol by volume. So still relatively low proof, although a little bit higher than a, than a typical wine, I think. Um, and this is one of the more specialized bottles that, I, you know, in terms of where to find it, um, this is one of the more specialized things that I've actually been able to find at a local beverages and more. Um, it's a pity that you can't get other Alpen's imported products there, uh, but obviously the vermouth market is stronger than the market for a rock or for Smith and Cross. Uh, so if you have an interest in the cocktails uh, in the cocktail from today's episode and or you enjoy vermouth in other cocktails such as a Manhattan, I definitely go out and give the Dolina a try. It's probably not too hard to find, uh, pretty reasonably priced, and they package them in conveniently small bottles. Um, just remember to use it before it turns on you. All right, just uh, rinsing some of that vermouth out with a little bit more of the Caña Brava Aneja. Uh, now, the recipe for this episode called the El Presidente, a uh, recipe you may have heard of before. Um, I ran across the recipe in the book Lost Spirits of, Pro- or excuse me, Lost Recipes of Prohibition by Matthew Rowley. Um, embarrassingly, I have had this book for about six months before I actually really cracked the spine on it. Um, I saw a talk by the author at TQ Oasis 13. Uh, the subject he talked about at that time was moonshine slash Hawaiian moonshine. Uh, there was a new Okaleha that was being marketed, and uh, it's being it was marketed and is marketed as Hawaiian moonshine. And Matt Rowley has uh, he has written a book previously on moonshine, uh, and so he was a good person to give that talk. And I, I really did enjoy the talk. Uh, I bought a bo- actually bought a bottle of the uh, Hawaiian moonshine slash Okaleha when I was on Maui last October. And, have yet to crack that open either. So there's a pattern evident somewhere. Um, in any case, I knew I wanted this book uh, by the time I had it, you know, but the time, by the time I got it, I was kind of backed up on reading. So it took a while to actually get to it. But I went to this one specifically to find a recipe that may feature the style of rum represented by the Kanya Brana, Brava Reserva. And the book delivered almost immediately with the El Presidente cocktail. So I knew that what I was looking at here with this rum was a rum that was trying to be uh, similar in style to an aged um, uh, Cuban style rum, 
And so that's the recipe I was looking for. And it made sense to go back and try and find that in a, a book that featured recipes from Prohibition era. Now, um, again, Ma- uh, Matthew Rowley's book referenced uh, with the El Presidente referenced potions of the Caribbean. Um, and so at that point, I had my corroboration via a second source. So I knew I was onto something at that point. Um, and, it, you know, it seemed fitting to, again, like I said, it seemed fitting to use rum that was clearly trying to be a pre-prohibition aged Cuban rum. Um, by the way, I've, I've since made a bit more headway into Lost Recipes of Prohibition, and I feel confident in recommending it, even though I haven't finished it, uh, particularly as a window into the era of Prohibition, uh, some of the ins and outs of Prohibition that I wasn't as familiar with. You know, instead of a blanket statement of all alcohol was banned for a period of X number of years, it gets into the nuances of what people could and couldn't do during Prohibition and how people got around it and and what was really, you know, some of the things that were happening during that time. So, um Historically speaking, it's an interesting read. And then there's a lot of formulations because the whole thing is based on a, a notebook of a certain individual that kept different formulations, not necessarily cocktail recipes, but different ways to make uh, different uh, ingredients for cocktails during that time. So very, very interesting um, and then chock full of useful recipes as well. So there's a link to that, to that in the show notes. Um, again, full disclosure, haven't finished the book yet, but totally confident that uh, if you like that style and that area of history, that it's a book that you're going to want to pick up. Um, so as I said, um, Matt Rowley's book referenced Potions of the Caribbean. So from there, I went to Potions of the Caribbean and found more about the origin story of the cocktail itself. Um, in Potions of the Caribbean, Jeff Barry writes that the recipe was pulled from a 1924 Cuban bartender handbook called uh, the Manuel del Cantonero. See, I thought my French was bad that my Spanish isn't too far behind. Um, the Presidente was actually named for Mario Garcia Menocal, the, the uh, titular Presidente from Cuba, and the recipe likely, according to sources, originated at the Vista Alegre Club in Santiago. Now, the recipe itself for an El Presidente is one ounce of aged Cuban rum, so in this case, using the Caña Brava Reserva Aneja, one ounce of Doline Vermouth de Chambre Blanc, or you can use equal parts dry and sweet vermouth. Uh, in this case, the reason for equal parts dry and sweet vermouth is because uh, the sweet Italian would be the uh, a little bit too much on the sweet side. Dry would definitely not be uh, sweet enough, and so that's why using equal parts of that would be a good approximation if you can't find the Doline. Uh, and then one quarter ounce of orange curacao, in my case, using the Pierre Ferrand dry curacao. Now combine all those ingredients into a chilled mixing glass and then stir that for about 30 seconds. Again, with a all spirits cocktail, this is stirred, not shaken. Uh, so once you've uh, stirred that to chilled in your mixing glass, you're going to strain that into a small coupe glass, uh, a five ounce glass that I picked up uh, for use with uh, Prohibition style cocktails or era cocktails or what I'm using. Uh, and then after that, twist a section of orange peel over the glass and then drop it into the glass. And then finally garnish that with a single Luxardo Mar- Maraschino cherry. Now, the taste of this cocktail, this is um, this is truly, for me, a slow down and sip it drink for me. Uh, by today's standards, it would be considered a small cocktail. Again, I'm referencing a five ounce coupe glass, which seems like almost unheard of if you were to go to a bar. Well, it's less true to say that now than it was maybe five years ago. Now, with uh, with prohibition style and craft cocktails being like super buzzwords, uh, I think a lot of people are serving sort of the same style of drink that was popular in the in the 20s and in that era. But there was a time where a martini got to be the ounce uh, got to be almost like six ounces, uh, seven ounces of booze all on its own, let alone the glass. So, anyways, um, small cocktail by today's standards, modern standards, uh, but it does reward smaller sips because it's it's got a lot of strong flavors. Um, and it's not something that you're going to, you know, suck down really quickly. 
Uh, the vermouth is really vying for attention at first when I drink this, and I think the small amount of orange curacao really adds depth to the cocktail and kind of takes the edge off of it a little bit. Um, it's really outside of my normal wheelhouse, but it's enjoyable. Um, it's got a very nice nose, particularly from the vermouth. And then after the first few sips, the rum started to make itself more known. Um, whereas at the start, it felt like the Dolene show afterwards, it started to come together and form something that was a little more cohesive. So, uh, it's a good cocktail. It's, it's definitely an easy cocktail to make and a good learning experience. If you're starting to build cocktails of that era and see a little bit more about what the flavor profiles of drinks were, uh, pre-prohibition or during prohibition. That's it for episode 56. Thank you for listening. The show links are up on the five minutes of rum website. That's number five minutes of rum.com. The show is also on iTunes as five minutes of rum on iTunes. You can subscribe, you can rate the show, or you can even leave a review. The show is also on Twitter and Instagram as at five minutes of rum. That's the at symbol and number five minutes of rum. And please send in any comments, corrections, feedback, or, and, or requests via either the five minutes of rum website or on Twitter or tag a photo on Instagram. That's always cool to see. And now go get some rum.